a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Here she come now, say morning, morning. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Ben Anderson's going to join us coming up here in a bit. We need Ben. Need a little dose of Ben. We need a little dose of Ben. I, I want to, I'm hoping Ben will tell me his final four. I think I saw, when I was filling out my bracket at kslsports.com, I think that I saw he'd already got his bracket up. Oh, really? I think. But if you don't have your bracket up, shame on you. Get out there, get it done, kslsports.com. Foxhollow. You can go golf at Fox Hollow. KSLsports.com and um, just enter in your bracket. Fill it out. It's super easy. And you can compete against all of us. Ben, you got your bracket up yet? Uh, I do. It's up there. It's ready to go. Yeah. It showed it. Yeah, hands thought well, he saw it, that. It didn't show his picks. It's just when I was entering my bracket today, Ben, it was like, you can compete against the greats like Ben Anderson, but it didn't mention Hans Olsen. <laughs> well, I designed the bracket, so yeah. <laughs> There's a reason. A little $5 bill to Maddie, and you can get what I mean. Yeah. You helped take Whatever the one. You, want. you helped pick the one through 16. Um, are you willing to give us your final four? Um. Oh, man. Off the top of my head, I don't have my paper bracket in front of me. I have Kansas. I have Texas. I have Alabama. I think I might have UCLA. Honestly, I'd have to pull it up. I can, I can pull it up really quick. Wow. It's, it's online here. You, you've you've, got, got, you've got, got Texas coming out of Midwest, huh? I like what Texas. What are they, the two seeds? Yeah. Yep. Yep. They got a ton of talent. Uh, I know they had an issue with their head coach choking his wife in the middle of the season and got fired, but they don't seem to miss him at all. Uh, rightfully so. So they've been good. Yeah, that's a very good basketball team. Uh, that'd be a great story, too. Um, uh, UCLA's an interesting pick. Um, you're not buying the Gonzaga hype? Uh, Gonzaga's always good, but even at their best, and this is not their best, they uh, they usually flame out at some point. So no, I'm not buying Gonzaga this year, unfortunately. Did you at least take them to the Elite Eight? 
I'm, I'm trying to pull up my bracket here. Now I don't even know how to find it. I'm at kslsports.com, and I don't even see the uh, bracket challenge glued there to the front, but maybe I'm not looking very well. I do think I have them in the Elite Eight. They're, they're the three seed, right? Yes. Yeah. I think I've got them up to the Elite Eight. Yeah, Gonzaga would uh, come out of the the West into a three seed and would face Kansas as the one seed in the Elite Eight. I think that's what I have. And then, yes, uh, I have Kansas winning it all, so I have them advancing. Do you tend to do well with these brackets? Uh, no, <laughs> anybody. But uh, I, I do okay. I mean, I don't think I'm ever last place. I'm generally a little bit... Uh, a little bit informed. It helps me a little bit. And I listen to what Scott Gerard tells me when he jumps on my radio show and oh tells me which upsets to pick. So that helps. Uh, and I know which 12-5 to look at. But you know what? You're pretty safe if you go chalk for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me a little nervous. I mean, I, I think my lowest, maybe I have, what is Kansas State? Are they at three seed? I might have Kansas State. I'm still trying to pull this up. I That's not, but, uh, they got They got a good coach. Kansas State is not a bad pick. I've got Kansas State to the yeah. Sweet 16, but I've got them... Uh, I've got them getting beat by Michigan State, the seventh seed. Tom, yeah, Tom. Uh, I'm not so sure about Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, Tom, everybody gives Tom Izzo a break because Tom Izzo's always had teams that go on NCAA tournament runs, but I don't think this team's it for him. I don't think this is the one, huh? Yeah. Um, ben, you, um, I, I made a joke when I was when I hopped on your show that you know because there's a lot of guys that cover the NBA, and I totally get it. By the way, I'm not. This isn't a knock, but when you watch a lot of NBA. Sometimes watching college basketball is very difficult because it's it's a different game. It's not as fluid. It's not as uh, athletic, and and you don't see the same type of athleticism and fluidity on the court as you do in the NBA. Is it hard for you to watch college basketball sometimes? Not at this point. Pre, you know, but with, I mean, the tournaments when they're out there and the kids are playing hard and dialed in, and it kind of gets on an equal basis because no one has time to prepare for one another. It really evens the playing field. And I think, and then they're playing so hard. I, it gets really easy to watch at this point. My own bias just has me looking for NBA players when I watch college games, which, you know, there's only going to be 60 players drafted with the way the league works now. You know, the top 15 kids, maybe only seven of them are actually in college. The kids are playing for overtime elite or G League Ignite or whatever. Uh, and then some of the kids are coming from overseas. So there's just not as much as you used to be able to watch. And that's my only knock on it. It's a little slow. I don't love the timeout patterns. I wish they had quarters. Uh, I wish they had a shorter shot clock. There's there's things I would change about it. But at this point, I, I gear up and I can totally buy into it. All right, Ben, the Utah Jazz are going to be returning after tonight's game against Miami on this six-game road trip. Will they return 3-3 three and three, or will they return 2 and four. I suspect they're two and four. I don't think this is a win for the Jazz tonight. Uh, no Jordan Clarkson. He was just announced as being out by the team about a half an hour ago uh, as he continues to deal with that thing, uh, finger injury on his left hand. So uh, th- this is going to be a tough game. I imagine the last game of a road trip is always brutal. These guys are ready to get home. They haven't been here for two weeks. It's in a pretty tough place to play in Miami, and they're going to be hungry for a win. And also, you've been in Miami for the last day, so that generally doesn't lead to the greatest quality road performances when you've had a night off in Miami. So uh, I would imagine the odds are stacked against the Jazz pretty heavily in this game. I mean, I'm worried about David Locke on the broadcast, let alone the guys out there on the court. You, you well, get... he has all those bad influences around him, like like Ron Boone, who's taking uh, <laughs> him out on the town. Oh, I could see Ron just encouraging David into all kinds of crazy nefarious activities. <laughs> Ron knows where the bodies are hiding, <laughs> hide, hid in Miami. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, it's interesting, too, when you look at, I mean, what's your evaluation of this Miami team? Because, you know, we, we talk about a lot of teams in the East. Uh, Miami doesn't get talked about a lot. Uh, extremely disappointing this season. And I can just pull up their latest box score and look down the list and say, well, Jimmy Butler had 38 points and you're in Orlando. That's got to be a win. When they got outscored by 12 in overtime. And they yeah. got outscored 18-6 to six in overtime. And just like the Kyle Lowry edition hasn't worked at all. They've got Kevin Love in the starting lineup now, which, you know, there was a reason why Kevin Love wasn't playing in Cleveland either. As, as beloved as he was there, he just is not the player he used to be. Kyle Lowry, as we mentioned, is just not very good. He's had to move to the bench. Tyler Hero has not developed into the next star in Miami the way people hoped. Bam Adebayo is pretty fantastic and, you know, isn't there every night, isn't great every night. So even when you get huge performances from Jimmy Butler, they just don't have all the right pieces around him. And, and they just had some weird whiffs. I mentioned Lowry. I know I've said that three times now. But, you know, Duncan Robinson signing that $80 million contract and just turning into from the best shooter in the NBA to just absolutely, you know, below mediocre, below average as a shooter, that's, that's a huge chunk of your salary cap to be paying to a guy who can't play. So they've made some issues, which is unusual there, because Pat Riley, I think Shane Battier has been in the front office there. Uh, they usually have done such a good job with player movement, player development, development, and those types of things. It's weird to see them struggle like they have. Well, Ben, they come home from Miami, and they get a very rare five-day break before they take on the remainder of their schedule, 14 games out. And I'm, I've been looking down their schedule. There's a couple of games that are probably wins. There are a couple in there that you could say are, are wins. But through the remainder of the 14 games, it's actually a pretty difficult stretch for the Utah Jazz. How do you kind of break it down, or how do you look at the remaining games on this Jazz schedule? Yeah, I, I see one guaranteed win the rest of the way. And even then, it's not guaranteed because there's a guy named Damian Lillard on that roster but home against Portland, with how dreadful Portland's been in the last couple of weeks, is the most likely winnable game. But I'll just run over this for you really quickly. At Miami, very tough. Boston's the second-best team in the East. Sacramento is playing unbelievably well right now. Home against Milwaukee. Uh, at Sacramento, home against Phoenix, who might have Kevin Durant back at that point, but regardless, Phoenix is better than the Jazz. At San Antonio should be a win, but the Jazz are 1-2 and two against the Spurs this year and got beat in San Antonio already. At Boston, the loss. At Brooklyn, Brooklyn's still playing for the playoffs now, and Mikhail Bridges is fabulous. Uh, the Lakers at home, Lakers are trying to make the playoffs. Home against Oklahoma City has, you know, could be a tank off or could be Oklahoma City trying to make the playoffs. That one's a toss-up. Home against Denver, Denver's already got the one seed wrapped up. They might not be playing anybody. And then at the Lakers again, Oof. I think they're trying to make the playoffs. So I just look at the schedule to close, and I just, I don't, see a lot of checkmark wins that are obvious. So, you know, I know some Jazz fans were not thrilled about winning in Orlando and winning in Charlotte because of what it's done to the standings. You're in the ninth seed in the West right now. But if you lose tonight, you drop to the 12th because all the teams you're tied with are idle. And then I don't know how many more wins you have on the season. I mean, it legitimately could be two. It could be as many as five, but I don't think it's going to be many more than that. That's what I t- I've got. I did two and 12 through the remaining Which is, I mean, that's that's pretty brutal. Honestly, that's a pretty brutal close to the season. Uh, but it's going to be beneficial because you look at the standings overall league-wide, I think the Jazz are only two games out of having the sixth pick because Chicago has weirdly won some games now. Uh, all these teams are so close in the league that you could go from the 14th pick, which is what they would have if the, league, if the season ended today, all the way up to six with only really uh, Orlando, Charlotte, San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit ahead of you. 
A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the best realistic future for Talon Horton Tucker? What, what do you envision him seeing in a best-case scenario that's realistic? I'm trying to not read into kind of the hesitancy with which Will Hardy talked about him uh, after the game the other night, I, I do think what we saw from Taylor Horton Tucker the other night is unrealistic yeah. because his usage rate was at 40%. I mean, they, he just basically took the ball, gave himself the green light, and because Charlotte doesn't want to play any defense, he just took it to them over and over. And then he did the same thing against uh, Orlando the night before that, and his usage rate wasn't as high, but he was playing against some smaller guards and Markel Fultz and, and Terry Rozier. Uh, he's really dynamic with the ball in his hands. And he still is not somebody I would trust late in games to him to have to make plays if it was a two-point game or a four-point game because he's very turnover-prone. I think he's probably best served as a six-man who can get a lot of those opportunities, high-usage opportunities off the bench. And even then, I mean, if he can't be a proven shooter, if teams are going to back off of him and not give him all that you know, runway to, to gain or, or they'll, they'll give him more runway and try and draw charges against him, or they'll just let him shoot threes. And, and the problem with him is, is he's shown that he can be a sucker for shooting threes even when he can't make them. So that's, that's my issue with Taylor Horton Tucker. But it's very intriguing at 22 years old with that frame. He's got crazy athleticism. He's got the longest wingspan to height ratio in the NBA. So he really does have a truly unique build on top of his, his weight that he carries with him, which he can handle very naturally. There's a lot there. But even asking you know, people close to the Jazz what the ideal role is for him or, or who they think he is or what his comp would be with anyone else they've ever seen, nobody knows. So that's what's so hard about it. It's hard to be truly unique and not have an idea of what that guy is supposed to be doing. So, Ben, Scotty and I have been spending some time looking at the upcoming draft because I think it's more interesting than the upcoming postseason for the Utah Jazz. And we know that there are the big two, the Victor Wimiyama and the Scoot Henderson picks at the very top of the board. But as we've looked at it and as I've kind of studied through it, you got a couple of overtime elite players that are coming out, Amen Thompson and Ozer Thompson, a couple of, of great guards that are going to be fantastic. I know you got Nick Smith out of Arkansas. I, I don't know what happens with Brandon Miller, but we all have seen what he's able to do under scrutiny and under a lot of pressure, and we'll see how he does in this upcoming NCAA tournament. But as you look at the upcoming draft for the Utah Jazz, Ben, do you believe outside of those top two picks, the Jazz could find another cornerstone piece for their roster? Yeah, I, I think this draft gets a little bit overrated because of how good Victor Wembanyama is. And even then, the gap between him and Scoot Henderson is somewhat significant as far as you know a prospect goes. You have to like that that. You know, Scoot has, has put on the performance he has this year with the G League Ignite, but he is small. He is 6'2". He's only 195 pounds. Like, generally, the best guards are still really big. You know, he, he, John Morant is unique because he's so athletic, and, and don't get me wrong, I think Scoot has some of that similar athleticism. But even then, it can only kind of take you so far. 
So is he a cornerstone player? Does he have to be the second or third best team on a really good team? That's a big question for Scoot going forward. And then it really does open up. Uh, Brandon Miller probably should be the third pick, but you take a gun to a crime scene uh, where it's used to kill somebody, and that's going to be very heavily scrutinized, and rightfully so. But by all reports that I've heard and talking to people who know the drafts, that he was just a great kid before that until this, you know, I, you don't know if it was a horrible mistake or decision or whatever you want to call it, uh, but that was terrible. But he's probably the third best player in this draft. The Osser and, and Amon Thompson twins, as you talked about, are very intriguing with their size. They're 6'7". They're guards. They're freakishly athletic. Uh, Amon Thompson, Thompson's by far the best athlete in this draft. They're intriguing if they can hit their potential. Uh, Oscar Thompson's much more of a defensive player than his brother is, who's more ball in hand. Those guys are out there. Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker. I mean, there, there are players that I think there's going to be talent and all-stars, but I don't think there's like a very clear-cut 4 through 12 that's going to give you an obvious like, hey, if you can get into the top 7, you're getting a star. Or if you can get into the top 10, you're getting a star. I think it really does open up after those top 2 or 3 players, and it's just a wild card. You really have to draft right at that point. Talked to a scout down at the Mountain West Conference Tournament, and I asked him about Brandon Miller, and I said, does a if if it continues on, no charges are filed, um, and he continues to play well, would you have a problem drafting him? And he said, honestly, with his talent level and the fact that no charges are filed, I'd draft him in a second and not worry an ounce about it. Yep, and, and that's what I've heard, too, in all honesty. And, you know, you don't want to overlook this horrible situation he was yeah. a part of and, and contributed to. He really did. I mean, he... He, whether he gets charged legally with it, there's some culpability there that he didn't, when his friend said, hey, bring me my gun, he didn't say, where are you? And why am I bringing you your gun? Like, well, it wasn't Brandon Miller's gun. It was his friend's gun. But, like, why am I taking it to a party? Or why am I taking it to a crowded bar in a college town? Like, those are horrible decisions that an 18-year-old made that changed the lives of a lot of people, his, his included. But really, I mean, it took a young woman's life. It was a single mom, I think, if I understand correctly. So there's that culpability for it. And still, you know, he didn't pull the trigger, thankfully. And, you know, the people who did are being held responsible and have been charged with murder. And if everything else checks out, you know, th- there are worse people around than, than what Brandon Miller did, as stupid as it was and as bad as it was. Uh, so, yeah, a team will draft him number three overall. I have no doubt if there are no charges come. Ben, where do you stand on Greg Hardy's first season as the Will, Will, or Will Hardy's first season? How he's called. Speaking of a bad deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very bad. Uh, as the Utah Jazz head coach, um, give us a grade on it. I think it's been probably an A. You know, it may, maybe an A minus, depending on you know if there was you know more you could have gotten out of certain guys. But I don't know if that was really possible. Uh, I, I'm not sure what type of handcuffs he's been given by the organization. In all honesty, I don't think a lot. I don't think Danny Ainge or Justin Zanuck is calling him and saying like. You don't get to play Jordan Clarkson tonight. We're trying to lose in Miami, and you have to do that. I, I don't think that's what he's been doing. But, you know, to that point, Jordan Clarkson's had the best year of his career. And it's a veteran who's stepping in, coming off of a coach who he really liked playing for, my understanding, and Quinn Snyder. And Quinn was an offensive genius who got a lot out of guys. And even, you know, Will Hardy's getting as much or more out of this team than I think even Quinn Snyder would have. They're a top-five offense, and that's really promising. You're going to have to get some other defensive guys around to, to come in and, and build that up, and, and they will. Uh, they'll find those guys out there. But you know you have a type of system that can allow guys to flourish. Uh, and then you get to credit the players that Lowry Markin has been as good as he has and Jordan's been as good as he has and some of these other players have stepped up and played well. 
Uh, but I also think he's got a ton of accountability from his players, which is probably the most promising sign uh, and is a delicate balance here in Utah, whereas guys get more and more popular and it's a small town. You have a lot of power as a player in Utah. And that was one of the criticisms, I think, of the last iteration of the Jazz was that the players got a little bit too empowered and it allowed them to not play defense or do some of the things that they needed to do to actually win the most important games of the season. And that's why you ended up having to blow it up. I do think Will Hardy, I mean, he says it after every game, I'm probably too hard on Taylor Horton Tucker. I'm probably too hard on uh, uh, Walker Kessler. You hear that a lot because I think he is. I think he really coaches these guys hard, but they bounce back. Uh, he knows what buttons to push, and, and they seem to respond well. So I don't think he necessarily is you know, the barking coach, the hard coach that nobody wants to play for. I think guys really respect him, but I think there's overall accountability, and he does seem to put the work in despite being you know, as young as he is. He certainly seems to have the right demeanor to be a head coach. Uh, I just like picking your brain on a lot of NBA topics here, but uh, I think a lot of us were skeptical about Kyrie Irving in Dallas. Uh, they've lost five out of their last seven. What do you think the issue is? Is it more than just Kyrie being weird and it's not meshing, or what do you think's going on there? No, I mean, it's just a bad stylistic fit. You know, it was kind of exactly as bad as everyone thought it might be, where Kyrie needs the ball and Luka needs the ball and neither of them play defense, and that's just really hard to do. You could always hide Luka on a player because, you you know, on the worst defensive player on the other team because you had Dorian Finney-Smith and you had some guys that wanted to go out there and you had the excellent size of Spencer Dinwiddie, who's not an elite defensive player, but he can play defense and, and is willing, and we saw that in the playoffs last year against the Jazz. Uh, and that allows Luca to do a lot of things, you know, or, or to not do a lot of things defensively, I guess I should probably say. And now I don't think you have that luxury anymore uh, without some of those defensive players and some of that length. So I get why they made that gamble. That's a pretty cheap price to pay for a player of Kyrie Irving's talent. And I don't think it has anything to do with Kyrie and his weird attitude off the floor for why they're struggling. But stylistically, it's really bad and I don't know if Kyrie's going to come back next year because he is out there for himself and he's going to go find his best deal and that's totally his right. He's an unrestricted free agent. He can do whatever he wants uh, but they're probably going to take it out on Jason Kidd which is could be a mistake. I thought he coached Quinn Snyder last year in the playoffs. So, you know, that can end up being very disruptive and that was a move, you know, maybe not a knee-jerk reaction because they were the first team to make a trade this season when they traded for Kyrie but it, it felt like they felt rushed. They didn't trust what they had, despite the fact that they made the conference finals last year. And maybe they just had a poor 60 games to start the season. They probably should have seen it through because in the long run, if Kyrie leaves, you did give up a decent price for a rental of a guy who didn't help your roster at all. And certainly didn't make you more competitive in the West. Does that change in the playoffs? It's really hard to guard both of those guys. And I have said a lot on the air that Luca by himself is probably good enough to take every series to six games because he can win you two games by himself in the playoffs because he's truly one of the greatest players on the planet, uh, does having Kyrie next to him change that by either taking the ball out of his hands or just making them so putrid defensively that they don't have a chance. That's that's what I'm going to be watching. Yeah, it's so crazy, Ben, because I, I don't think of myself as being an NBA expert. But when I saw that move for Kyrie Irving, I instantly thought this is not going to work. And Kyrie could have been on a couple of different rosters in the NBA, and I could have said, yeah, I think that's going to work. But this just felt like such a non-fit for me. And on the reverse of that, when I saw Kevin Rant and his move to Phoenix, which is not a rental, but potentially a long-term fit, if he can get his health back, I thought, that's the perfect fit. Now, here they are dealing with Kevin Durant off the court with what seems to be a 
pretty severe ankle twist in a warm-up situation. Give me your expectations on his return. When do you think it'll happen? I heard you mention that they, the Jazz play Phoenix here in a couple of weeks, and you thought maybe he's back then. But when do you expect Kevin Durant back, and what do you expect of this Phoenix Suns team once he is back? Yeah, probably before the end of the month, which is not you know drastic to say. It's the 13th today. He heard it about a week ago, and they said three weeks initially he'd be reevaluated. So, yeah, maybe the 21st, maybe you know, maybe somewhere around that. I'd have to pull up Phoenix's schedule and see exactly what dates that they would target to bring him back. But that only leaves you, what, eight games of the regular season, ten games of the regular season to try and figure out what he does and how he fits. And then you've got to go into a playoff run, and they're probably facing either the Clippers or the Warriors in the first round. Like, they could absolutely lose in the first round of the playoffs because they just don't know exactly what this roster is supposed to be doing. Not to mention that, you know, Cam Thomas and Mikhail Bridges are fabulous players. Really, I mean, Mikhail Bridges is doing very similar things in Brooklyn to what Kevin Durant was doing. I mean, he's not that good, don't get me wrong, but he scores 35 very regularly. He's a great defensive player, and he's kind of a star in the making. So they went all in, all in on this trade by moving those two pieces, plus four future unprotected draft picks. There's a ton riding on this season being successful because next year, he's a year older. What do you think? He's 35 or 36. He's got a history of injuries. He's played a ton of basketball. Chris Paul, I'm telling you right now, is way closer to the Mike Conley that we watched on this Jazz team than the Chris Paul that I think we, we naturally think of, this Hall of Fame superstar point guard. He just doesn't have that in his game anymore the way he used to. And now he's going to have to go chase around. You know, we've talked about these different guards. I mean, even if it's Russ, he's a better player than Russell Westbrook, but that's a pain to yeah. have to chase for a whole playoff series, or much less Stephen Curry, who's, you know, one of the greatest we've ever seen. So that's going to be a really, really tough playoff matchup. And heck, it could even be Dallas if Dallas finds and puts it together. And then Chris Paul has to chase around Luka and Kyrie Irving, who, by the way, eliminated them last year in the postseason. So I'm not totally sold on the Suns. And we may look at how much they spent to give up to get uh, Kevin Durant as not worth it in the long run. Hey, tell Jake... Mountain West is going at least two and two. It's going to be all right. Man, he was so bummed about them today. He uh, was so it, hurt by his expectation they were going to go over four. Yeah, our guy was a little salty this morning. I like you calling him out on his like you know anti didn't want to pay taxes and any of that stuff anymore. That was funny. Well, did Jake have a bad day today? I didn't get to hear the show today. He, he's he's a little. Jake's always kind a of a bit, bit of a curmudgeon, but. Uh, it was. What, what it did was he escalated. take the Mount West Conference? What was that? Well, he's just upset because the Mount and and he's right. The Mount West traditionally performs poorly in the NCAA tournament, and and he's he's upset because they've made him look bad. Oh, but come on, they're predictions. They make all of us look bad. It's okay. Don't worry yeah. about. Yeah, right. Anyway, by the way, I do have Kansas State in my uh, Final Four. I like it. That's a that's a good pick. Love their coach. I've got Alabama, Kansas State, Texas, and Kansas. Ben, you are the best. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks, Ben. Ben Anderson. You hear him every day from 10 to noon right here on The Zone. You also read him as the jazz insider for kslsports.com. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.